everyone, welcome to JoJo's World, part two, battle tendency. Wait, that was... I'm one of your hosts, Liam S. Smith. And I'm Nick Ballantyne. We're recording our second episode in a day now. It's gonna get real. We went to the pub between the first and second, so we're lightly buzzed. You know, we may have a slight, I don't know, downfall in quality, maybe? We'll see how we go. Yeah, I'm sure I'll be fine. Everything will be fine. So... We've moved on from part one, which took place in the late 1800s, to part two, which takes place 50 years later in uh, 1938. I have mixed feelings about this, but yeah? at the same time, yeah? I'm very excited. Why are they mixed? Well, 1888 is such a cool time period where it's like, oh, you don't see it that often in, like, most of uh, our media today, you know? Okay. I mean, with the advent of, like, Game of Thrones and all that sort of stuff, medieval stuff's becoming a bit more popular, but 1888, in between that... It's sort of like on the verge of two different eras. Yeah, it's sort of like in between industrial and like Elizabethan times. Okay, I guess. right. So, you know, you still got the nobles, but technology's sort of coming in gradually and you got London that's sort of coming so into being... So it's like pre-World War One, which is where sort of yeah. the nobility kind of went out the window. Yeah, yeah. So it's quite an interesting time period. 1938... Pre-war, post-industrialization. Yeah, well, I frequently compared part one to, like, Glam Dracula. Mm. And I feel like this, um... Part. part this part <laughs> is sort of the equivalent, but with pulp novels or things inspired them, like Indi- by them, like Indiana Jones. Yeah. Okay. So, like, that sort of not really high-brow level stuff. It's a lot action of... and... Yeah, action and, like, and... heroic adventures yeah. and I, I'm not going to give too much away but oh. in Indiana Jones you go on a heroic adventure across the world yeah. and that's similar to what happens in this into like a mysterious quote unquote location yeah. to find out the secrets of stuff yeah interesting okay so it's sort of like a frolicking good time okay <laughs> well that's what I'm getting from the first episode let's have a good time everyone <laughs> with this new Joe Joe and this other guy called Joseph Josta. <laughs> so Joseph well, actually, before we get on to Joseph, let's yeah. talk about... There's a very subtle sort of shift in uh, art style that's occurred between these two episodes. Yeah. So, there was a lot of Victorian slash Gothic stuff in part one. Mm. Um, this one episode, mostly taking place in New York, is, like, really heavy on the art deco. Yeah. And there are some colour palette shifts, but they're really stylistically different, whereas... For example, in the last episode, we got that sort of ominous blue-green one. In this, we frequently see whenever Joseph's about to do something cool, he's sort of overlaid with a sort of, like, almost stars and stripes-y sort of... Blue and red. Rainbow sort of... array of colours. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's a lot more dazzling now, isn't it? Yeah, that's a good, yeah. good way to put it. I want to say it's a lot more camp, but I don't know if that's quite the right term. I think, I think JoJo's pretty camp in general. Yeah, I mean... Part one was fairly camp. <laughs> Part two's only just going even further. Yeah, and this is only the first episode. This is the first episode. So, do you have any preliminary thought, pre- preliminary thoughts about our hero Joseph? Okay, so I was talking to you about this. Mm-hmm. How Jonathan was such a noble hero, and he wanted to be the gentleman, and that sort of uh, pushed him into the story that we got. Joseph, so far, he's a bit more of a loose cannon. Yeah, that's fair to say. He did just pull... Okay, we'll get to that. But, like, he did pull out a Tommy gun, just randomly. Well, we talked... I, I've mentioned in a previous episode how almost every JoJo has, like, a sort of machine gun punch attack that they do at some point and or is associated with them. This is just a bit more literal. Yeah, now, Joseph doesn't have one of those, <laughs> but he does have an attack with a literal machine gun. <laughs> yeah, no, he's, um, he's a bit more, like... Uh, flamboyant, isn't he? Yeah, that's fair to say. Yeah, where he'll just be a bit more stylish about things and he loses his temper. He does a, later in this episode that we'll get to, he does a sort of, um, 
Sherlock Holmes style reading his opponent, which is something that is going to, it sort of becomes his, um... His stick. Yeah, uh, what's a good word for it? Not a catchphrase per se, but he'll frequently, like, um, whenever the tide of the battle is about to turn, he'll reveal he's known what's going on all along, because he'll say, next you're going to say, blah, 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 blah. And and then they'll say it, and they'll go, what? And he's like, that's right, I knew you were doing this all along, and this is how I counted it. (laughs) It's like uh, Fist of the North Star, where they're like, I'll kill you before you even know it. <laughs> Why aren't you dying? Because you're already dead. Oh no! And then he explodes. So that also keys into the, apparently, I've read, this This is citation needed, but um, the meaning of the phrase battle tendency. Right. So I've heard that's a sort of less than elegant translation where the phrase they use in Japan, I don't know if that is the same thing with different connotations or a, diff- or a mm-hmm. Japanese phrase, refers to the sort of shifting flow of a, of a, of a fight um, and how at different points one side will appear to be on top and then it will shift and ebb and the other will. Whereas I think if you just come to the phrase battle tendency, it sounds like a sort of more aggrandized version of this guy likes to pick fights. Yeah. Which is also true. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, he does have a bit of a battle tendency. So I guess like it's sort of saying that he knows how to like turn the tables at any moment. Yeah. And that is... As we said last week, at this point, the confrontations in JoJo be- start becoming more about uh, cunning and outwitting your opponent rather mm. than just beefing them. Yeah, because he... Well, I mean, he still looked pretty strong. He's 195 centimeters. Yeah, well, he basically looks just like Jonathan, except yeah. with more hair. Uh, I actually have a quote about that. This is from um, the uh, author's note on the Jojonium... Volume 4. I'm sorry, the Jejonium. We've talked about these before. These are the sort of like recent re-releases of the early uh, uh, volumes okay. in hardback, I think. So he says um, uh, each cover had like a different character and then an author's note associated with that character. Right. So this one had the Joseph uh, cover and he says, uh, At the time it was unprecedented to kill off a main character and continue the manga. I'm paraphrasing this. Um, and it was also translated, so don't be accurate anyway. <laughs> um, Joseph's visual simul- similarity to Jojo was intended to ease that, sh- that transition. Uh, he says, this is a quote, uh, Now that the series is up to part eight, though, I wish I had differentiated the appearance of the pr- protagonists of part one and two a bit more. Mm, I suppose when you get into, like, part eight, you're just going, man, maybe I should stop making them all look exactly the same. <laughs> well, um, I think the first three look the most similar, and after that there's a sort of pretty gradual but also drastic shift in the art style. Yeah. Well, you were saying that, like, when it gets to, what, the 90s or something? It's st- it starts turning into, like, a weird 90s It drum. becomes less bodybuilder and more, like, male model. Yeah, which I am keen for. Yeah, it's pretty as cool. As hell. <laughs> so he also describes jo- uh, Joseph as more proactive in um, the plot than Jonathan, whereas Jonathan was entirely reactive to the stuff Dio did. Joseph seeks people out and takes, a, yeah. takes the initiative. He's more of an adventurer. And he says... In more crude terms, he has the personality of a swindler. This isn't only to create a contrast between him and Jonathan, but also because I wanted to, the focus to shift to the fi- from the physical battles of part one to more cerebral confrontations. Yeah, interesting. You say that he's more active. I mean, he did pull out a Tommy gun before he knew that it was him for sure. Yep, and this is only the first episode. <laughs> this is the first episode. Where the plot comes to him, and then after that he will pursue the plot. <laughs> He's also apparently inspired by, or similar to, um, the protagonist of another one of Araki's manga. The, sh- the story is called Cool Shock BT, which is about this guy called BT, and he would do similar things where he would, like, get in people's heads and oh. try to outwit them. Uh, and, quote, To put it simply, Joseph is a more of a, bu- a muscle-bound BT. I put some Stallone into BT and added some cheerfulness for good measure. <laughs> 
cheerfulness. Yeah. That is an accurate term. He does seem a lot more cheerful. <laughs> like a lot more cheerful than Jonathan. Yeah, that's fair. As you keep saying, he's uh he's certainly more flamboyant than Yeah, him. yeah. Well I mean Jonathan was always like, I wanna be the gentleman, I need to take myself seriously, which had its own sort of charm to he it. He was very earnest. He was. Possibly to a fault, which made him incredible. <laughs> Whereas Joseph is a bit more Ah, oh, screw it, I'm just gonna punch you in the face, bro. Yeah. While you're still talking. Yeah, it's great. So, um start of the episode. Oh, man. <laughs> we open on a shot of a biplane propeller. I was expecting, like, any sort of title to come up, but no. We get that later in a really cool moment, though. Oh, okay. All right. When Joseph introduces himself. Ooh. Speedwagon does that sort of dramatic cane clang on the tarmac of this runway they're on. Mm. And the camera pans up to him and we realise that it's Speedwagon 50 years older. Because he still has the scar. Yep. He's still wearing a hat. The narrator says, We know this man by his manner and his scar. <laughs> Scar and his bearing, I think. <laughs> I just love this line. We know him by who he is. And also, look at that giant scar on his face, bro. He's meeting with two ripple monks, including Streitzo, who you may remember as the partner of Dyer. Yes. Now, Dyer's dead. Dyer died. Dyer's definitely dead. He Straits suffered a dire fate. Ooh. Straight, though. Straits is like, it's good to see you again, Speedwagon. I understand you're an American oil tycoon now. <laughs> The best possible way to introduce yourself after a long time. So Speedwagon's really come up in the world. <laughs> yeah, he started from... as a mugger. <laughs> to an oil tycoon. So I guess he emigrated to the US and found some oil. I guess nothing's really changed then, but um, Tish. Good on you, Speedweed. Yeah. Well, I suppose that was the era of oil, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I still find it funny. It's like, oh, hey, old friend, I understand you're an oil tycoon now. It's like, what? Uh, yeah. He says it's a bit of an exaggeration. <laughs> But still, it's a bit like, I mean, I know that I'm an oil tycoon now. No need to make it a big deal. Yeah. Meanwhile, straight so it's like, cool. hello, friend. How are you? I hear this is your occupation. You never say that with real no. people. Um, on, the, on the other hand, though, um, Speedwagon exposits about how the Hamonis uh, slowed straights as aging and he doesn't look as old as Speedwagon does, even though they're the same age. Yeah, which is quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. Because we've already touched on that with... That um, will be significant later. Yeah, with Tom Petty? And Zapelli. And Zapelli, yeah. So uh, we also learn that Tom Petty has since passed on and Straitso is the new the new Ripple Master. The new God King Emperor of Man. Sure. <laughs> I like to imagine that anyone who has Hamon is basically going to be on a little upper echelon of society. That's, that's dark. Well, I mean, you know, he's a Tibetan monk. It's not really an upper echelon of society, is More it? More just higher elevation. yeah. <laughs> So they all get in an aeroplane and they go to Mexico uh, to see some mysterious ruins that an expedition that Speedwagon funded had found. Now I think the whole time is like, you're going to have to see something and the something that I'm going to show you is something. When you see this, you're going to shit your pants. And boy do they. So they enter the ruins and we see a shot that doesn't look exactly like but is very similar to part of the mural in the part one credits mm. with the um, the rays of the sun cutting through the, um, the mask-faced creature's head. Yep. And then they come to a large chamber where there is sort of a pillar in the centre mm-hmm. with a man inside it. A pillar man, if you will. And also on that pillar are a lot of stone masks. A lot of stone masks. I easily counted over nine. So there's they, a fair few. They all look mildly different. They do, don't they? Which is quite interesting. I guess they're made by hand. Stone masks made by hand. Although they do sort of have that jagged edge. So maybe yeah, they're yeah. made by hand. Who knows? Maybe they were made by demons. Who knows? <laughs> so, Speedwagon talks about how this is more terrifying than when we faced Dio 50 years ago. <gasps> okay, um, just, just putting it out there. 
Is it? <laughs> is it really? I wouldn't say so yet. No. I mean, it does look like something from Alien uh, in that big ship that they find, where it's like weird, somewhat organic looking things, but not really alive. No, not quite yet. Alive. We'll come back to that later. Yeah. Now we cut to New York. Hey. There's a big burly guy buying some Coca-Cola. Uh, <laughs> the, the guy selling it is like, you've never heard of this fine beverage? If you want a drink, you're going to have to lay down some shekels. Cash is king around here, <laughs> he says in the dove. Oh, no. Shekels again. More shekels. Yeah. What is with him? It is Iranian currency? Israeli. Israeli currency. But also modern, like, Yiddish slang for money. So this man, he's wearing, like, one of those newspaper boy caps. Mm-hmm. Uh, big red, I want to say leather jacket. Or possibly puffer jacket. Yeah, I but- think... I mean, this is probably made in the 80s. They would have been in, but also I don't know if they were invented in the 1920s, 30s. (laughs) You never know. You never know. And uh, then under that, he's wearing a uh, white shirt and green tie. Quite a nice little ensemble. Why was he wearing a green tie? It's his personal style. All right. Okay. All right. right. He can do that. So he's buying this Coca-Cola from this street vendor when our narrator, Smokey, runs in and grabs his wallet. (gasps) What? So Smokey. Smokey. Smokey... He's first a, of all a small young black child. Yeah, he's not that young. He's probably about I don't know, fifteen-ish. He's fifteen. I'm I'm estimating this. Wait, how old was Poco? I don't know. I'd say he looks a bit older than Poco though. Oh, barely. Yeah. Particularly later in the episode when he's wearing quite neat clothes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not sure it's great to call the only black character in your show Smokey, <laughs> Smokey Brown. <laughs> look, look. It was a different time. It was a different place. I'm sure he loves the name now. Yeah. I do like I do like Smokey more than Poco, though, and they do feel largely the same narrative role. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're both sort of young. They're just sort of like yeah. a young, identifiable character. Except one of them is actually doing narration. Yeah, and Serving also, purpose. much as loath as I am to admit it, uh, Poco actually achieves more than Smokey does. Ah, oh, Jesus. Wait, what does Poco even achieve? He opened that door. Yeah, I suppose that's true. Yeah, but Smokey was like... Later in the episode, when they're talking about breast implants, like they're not talking about breast implants, they're talking about padded bras. Ah, padded bras. Never mind. Well, I mean, <laughs> even then, he's just like, nah, there's no way, man. Save your money. A dollar twenty-five is just too much. Yeah, it's too much, man. It's too much. Back then, a dollar twenty-five could buy you like moonshine. Yeah. Like, come on. Um. Yeah. So Smokey lifts his wallet and runs into the alleyway, and is like, "Man, what a rube! I can't believe I got that guy's wallet. What a sucker!" But then he gets slammed into the wall. No, no, he gets his head bashed in by a nightstick. By these two cops. Yeah, it's pretty brutal as well. It's not like, oh yeah, he's going to be a nice old police officer. No, no, no. This is like 1938 police officer where racism was still pretty sprung. And also this guy's pretty corrupt. Yeah, he's quite corrupt. So this episode has two instances of Joseph clowning on guys who look barely human. (laughs) The first one's this one and the next one's the rest. There's these two cops. Like, the one who's usually in the background looks pretty unremarkable. He's... He looks like a dude. Yeah, but the guy that we focus on, he looks like if a bulldog was a human. Yeah, he looks like a mix between a pig and a dog. Yeah. Yeah, or like a pug or something. Mm. But he's a human with, like, human skin and yep. human but words. But he's, he's, a, he's a real monster. Ugh. They slam Smokey against the wall, and he's bleeding from that blow to yeah, the head. His, they really messed him up. Yeah, the back of his head is, like, drenched in blood. Yeah, he says, uh... Brutal. I'm gonna let you bring me twenty dollars every week. Also half of everything you glom. Dude, this is a uh, this is not fun. Not a fun man. Oh, also, when when um Smokey stole his wallet, the Coca Cola vendor says to Jojo, "You're not gonna let that mook grab your wallet, are you? Get after him." <laughs> 
Moop. So we've exchanged Ugh. crazy Cockney voices for ludicrous <laughs> New York accents. Oh no. Hey, I'm Please. Jojo here. I'm walking here. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Incidentally, um, Dub Joseph is... He has a really posh accent. Oh, because he's English. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And at first I found that like really off-putting because I was expecting him to have a sort of more American accent. Yeah, quite you, you heard how he sat yeah. in the sub in the Japanese audio his voice sounds like really bombastic and full of bravado mm. whereas he's uh, like a much much higher voice in the oh yes I didn't know that you were doing that, that it's like the sort thing. of um, we were talking about this in earlier in the episode that will have come out two weeks ago the um, liquid snake voice oh god the liquid snake hello, hello. except hello. less like sort of villainous brother yeah yeah yeah, but then once I real once like I thought about it more and listened to it more, it really does suit the sort of smug sort of um pulling the rug out from under you that he does so much. Yeah. I mean, it would help to be like smug with an English accent because anytime you put on an English accent, you already sound a bit more pretentious yeah. than you really are. Well, 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 I think I've seen through your cunning ruse there, Jeeves, as opposed to I've seen through your cunning ruse there, mate. Ah, speedwagon. <laughs> So the cops are trying to extort Smokey, and then they hear a hello, and it's Jojo standing in the alleyway. It's less of a hello and more of a hello, boys. Well, it's dub versus sub. <laughs> um, and the cop is like, hey, it's the pigeon what got his wallet lit. I'm just doing the cockney again. <laughs> hey, it's the pigeon what got his wallet lifted. This is evidence, so I'm going to be keeping it. Bastard. Utter bastard. And then Jojo's like, well, there actually is no crime since the wallet was a gift to him, you see, constable. And then they're like, eh? Eh? I'm keeping it anyway. Yeah. What, you wanna you wanna start a fight? I can make a lot of trouble for you. And then he picks his nose and puts the remainder of whatever, I don't know. His boogies. His boogies on his face. Yeah, that's gross. And he's just like, eh? You're just, uh, you're gonna stay calm when someone else doesn't? Eh? And then he goes, you really think you, you think what you do, you know? Think about what you do there? He's like, I don't have to think about what I do, I'm a police officer. And then... And then we get a brief monologue from Poco, where, uh, Smokey. <laughs> from Smokey. Where he's like, um, I can't believe this uh, 195 centimetre Englishman is trying to help me. Again, oddly specific. There's a lot of oddly specific stats that are just sort of referred to offhand in part two. In part two? Yeah. There were some oddly specific things in part one as well. Yeah, it's, it's a lot more widespread in part two, I found, oh, okay. from memory. Is it um, because it's so much more mental now? I so... don't necessarily know if it is, if it's just... Well, I mean, if it's like, oh no, a 200 centimetre door. Good thing I'm 195 centimetres tall. Like, that sort of thing? Not quite. It's just more things like this where it's like, here's this guy, also he happens to be this tall. Oh, okay. Also, uh, in the dub, he says six and a half foot. So, Ooh. rough uh, nah. size comparison. 195 centimetres. Way more specific. Way <laughs> better. Okay, so here's the thing, right? I immediately asked you how tall Jonathan was. Because I think he was 185? I can't remember off the top of my head. Oh, he may have been 165, but he was around there. Listener, write in and tell us how tall Jonathan is. Give us a five-star rating and then tell us yeah. how tall he was. Write this exactly in your iTunes review. <laughs> <laughs> JoJo's world has changed my life. <laughs> Never before did I realise how rich and deep Hirohiki Araki's masterpiece was. Jonathan Joestar is 200 centimetres tall. That Nick guy has good voice, it. There you go. Yep. Done. XXX Sephiroth. XXX420. Too soon, soon. (laughs) Uh, The cop keeps putting his boogers on Jojo and is like, um, what are you going to do? I'm a cop, you can't touch me. He's monologuing with his finger up his nose. And Joseph just punches him in the face. Midline. Joseph doesn't have time to listen to you monologue like Jonathan did. Fucking flawless. Yeah. So we get a very sort of gruesome shot of 
the cop with a fing- fist halfway through his, his nose. finger has gone through his nostril and is sticking out the other end. <laughs> Things are flying away from his face that are either boogers or a couple of his teeth. I think they're teeth and boogers. I mean, it would make sense. But like overall, not a good day for that cop. No, no. And the other cop grabs his gun out and points at him and is like, "You're resisting arrest." Joseph wasn't under arrest. <laughs> And then I think, does Joseph say... I have his dub line here. Oh no, here we go. Please try to shoot me, but I'm warning you right now, before you can pull the trigger, I will have broken your finger like a rotten matchstick. Ooh. Smokey narrates to us this sequence as uh, he sees Jojo's body start to glow. It's interesting, I refer to Joseph as Jojo far more easily than... Jonathan Joseph. Or any subsequent ones. Oh, okay. I think it's perhaps because... Out of the first, this first double season, you spend more time with Joseph, and then in subsequent parts, there are reasons why it beca- might be more confusing to just refer to one person as Jojo. Uh, are you saying there's multiple Joes? I'm saying in a future, in, in a future part, I won't say which. Okay. A surviving Jojo also appears in it. There are surviving Jojos. They don't all die at the end of their parts. What? Okay. All right. All right. So at a certain point, the moniker of Jojo becomes less practical to uh, just okay. refer to someone offhand as. So then he well, goes. Well, to... Yeah. So he starts glowing. He starts glowing as per Smokey's visions. The um the cola he's still been holding uh the the bubbles start percolating a lot more and then suddenly the cap flies off we get a real cool slow motion shot of like bubble filled uh cola streaming out propelling this cap towards the cop's finger and then was did smokey say something about like it just flew off pretty much yeah and then the cop's finger gets sort hit of, by the bottle cap. It gets hit by the bottle cap and then bends in on itself as it breaks due to the force of the bottle yeah. cap and snaps in twain away from the trigger. Like a rotten matchstick. Like a rotten matchstick. It's amazing. So then we get a brief shot of the two cops, one holding his face and like on the ground and the other clutching his finger and squirming. One of them got off way more than the other one. As Jojo like really casually necks the bottle of cola that's now foaming over. (laughs) Not even in like a really casual way, but in like a, oh, Coke. Oh, I'm so cool. Coke is life. Like it's like way up here and he's just drowning into his mouth. Yeah. Foam's coming out. He's like, oh, feels good, man. Feels good. And then immediately goes, oh no. Oh no, I messed up. I lost my temper again. ruh <laughs> Granny Arena's going to get so mad at me. <laughs> so, Granny Arena. Granny Arena. That's an interesting... That's a thing in... Whenever I watch an anime, when there's an older character, or even, like, a big brother character, it always sticks out to me the way they refer to them. Mm. Because, obviously, in Japanese, not that I'm... Fluent. Or... Barely cognizant yeah. of it, but they will frequently refer to someone by name with like a respectful honorific. Oh, yeah. So you can hear in the dialogue they say Erina Bachan. Yeah. So the obvious way to translate that is Granny Arena. Yeah. Because they're saying the name, but they're also using the mm. the the title. Yeah. And it's always really interesting to me when it happens, especially when you see like Big Brother such and such. Brother son. Yeah. Because that's not so much how people in English talk, but it's also the only real practical way to translate it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could take liberties in the dub, you know, when you do it. You're just like, oh yeah, Arena will have my head off. Or, grandma. Yeah, or Grandma will have my head off, you know. That's but then you of... don't know it's going to be Arena. Yeah, I mean, you could say, oh no, Arena, as like the first one, and then others just say, oh no. Grandma, oh no, my grandmother Arena is going to... Yeah, you know. Help me, Smokey. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, it's an interesting thing how like, because uh, there's obviously stuff like the Senpai. Yeah. Where it's like, senpai, notice me. If you put that in English. Upperclassman. Please notice me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So yeah, I think I think it's an it's an interesting thing that is, I guess, a uh, constant sort of yeah. thing that has to be dealt with in anime translation. Yeah, and here it's quite important because now you're in America and England, and it's sort of set there as opposed to uh, being set in like Japan. In which it's... case, you can just append the suffix because yeah. they're speaking Japanese. Yeah, and you know, there you can just be like, oh, well, it's in Japan. Obviously, they call each other that. Yeah. But like, if you're in like America or England, it's not going to be said that way. So then, do you translate it that way, or do you translate it as like, what they would actually say. Yeah. yeah. I think it's interesting. Yeah, it is. Interesting in a way that kind of contradicts what I said in the first episode. Like, I don't want to obsess over translation <laughs> issues. Although, I'm not complaining about anything. I'm just like, it's yeah. interesting. Yeah, because now we get beautiful, beautiful dubs in JoJo. Yeah. That are truly ridiculous. So we get some shots of, like, the Art Deco New York skyline as um, Smokey monologues some more. And he explains that uh, Joseph doesn't really understand what Hamon is at this stage. He just knows it's something he can do and has been able to do since he was born. It's not really important at this point, but he can do it. Now, he's like, who are you? And he says, my name's Joestar. Joseph Joestar. Part two, battle tendency. My friends call me Jojo. And then he sort of flicks the hair a little bit. His hair is wildly different from Jonathan's. Oh yeah, it's a lot lot more unkempt. Yeah, and it's way more anime. (laughs) It is very 80s, but not in the same way that like Dio's hair was very 80s. It's not like the sort of casual mullet sort of back there. It's like preened and like way up there, you know? Like that sort of, um, I was about to say Nicole Kidman, but I don't think it's Nicole Kidman I'm thinking of. I don't know. Like Olivia Newton-John-esque, where it's like preened. Okay, right. In the 80s, you know. I think it's Olivia Newton-John. I'm not sure. I don't even know. That preening, it's all about the preening. Okay, that the right. bird, you know, that bird look. Yeah, okay, that's fair. Meanwhile, back in Mexico. <laughs> it's not often we'll be able to say that. Speedwagon explains that even though that looks like a statue, it's not because it has amino acids and a protein and cells, and even though it's faint, he has body heat and a pulse. So, like. Does that mean that he's alive? He's alive. Dun dun dun! What a twist. Yeah. And then Strizzo kills everyone. Now, okay. He's like, Strizzo, what should we do about this pillar man? And Strizzo's like, what about Joseph Joestar? You said he could use the ripple ones. It's like, yeah. Of, I, I did say that. Okay, then. Flashback! So then they flash back to them on a plane. Yeah. Uh, on Speedwagon's plane, yeah, specifically. He was being hijacked by some people who wanted to ransom him. Yep, because he's an oil tycoon now. Yeah. Uh, Jojo was being rude in the back and just reading his comic uncooperatively. And then they're just like, hey, hey, we have a gun pointed to your head. Now, this is interesting. This is interesting. Uh, in the manga, he's reading Superman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it might be Superman 1. I'm not sure. Okay. In the anime, they changed that, presumably for licensing reasons. Mm. He's reading something called Bao, B-A-O-H. Okay. Uh, which is a, an earlier manga by Hirohiko Araki. Yeah. About a, um, it's about a man who was a, well, a teenager who was kidnapped and turned into like a sort of bio-weapon, and then he escapes and teams up with a psychic girl to sort of fight against the people who kidnapped him. It's just like Superman. And uh, on the back of the comic is a, uh, a depiction of a real ad that was uh, on magazines and comics at the time. Oh. Uh, hang on, I'm not sure if it, can, if it could have possibly been at the time, but it was a real ad at some point. Yeah. Because it depicts Do- uh, Don Adams of Get Smart fame. <laughs> Uh, and it's an ad for, like, model cars and stuff. That is amazing. Oh, that is fantastic. So uh, that must have been a later ad. Yeah. Must have been a real ad at time of publication, I would imagine. Yeah, probably. I mean, on the upside, bizarre. Very bizarre. Time travel. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Time travel publications. How did he get this book? <laughs> yeah, so they're like, come on, move to the front of the plane. And he's like, you're here to kidnap Speedwagon. I'm not Speedwagon. So just do your thing and leave me be. Get out of here, buddy. I'm reading my comic book. And then they hit him with a gun. Really hard. 
Well, I mean, they aren't trying to hijack the plane. Yeah. You know, they have a job to do. They, they can't just be all like, come on. So he starts bleeding and he gets some blood on his... um His suit. Yeah, his fine little coat. Mm. And Speedwagon's... It, like, it all goes red and zooms in on Speedwagon's eyes and it's like, oh no, that coat was a gift to him from Arena. He's going to lose his temper now. And what does he do? He loses his temper. Yeah. He approaches the pilot and fills him full of ham on so that he passes out because that's a thing you can do now. Apparently. Um, I see what you remember how ages ago you were like yeah Hamon gets a bit out of hand yeah you ain't seen nothing yet yeah so he passes out and then the other guys are going what we can't fly the plane we're gonna die and then quick grab the pilot spin wagon let's jump out of the plane on these seats and then they do I assume that would work well it's a pulp it doesn't really matter I didn't see any parachutes but hey who knows yeah Uh, the plane crashes I assume the kidnappers die speed wagon's like Jojo why don't you ever think things through and Jojo's like I do think things through, at least enough to protect you in the arena, because you're the only family I've got. Deep, meaningful look in the eyes, and then back to present. And that's that, I guess, really sums up, in a sentence, Joseph really well. He yeah. looks like he's an idiot who's not thinking things through, but he's actually working, like, three steps ahead of you at all times. <laughs> three steps ahead. Have you seen uh, any NTSF SDSUV? No, but I'm familiar, I'm, I've heard of it. Okay, there's... Anytime anyone says, like, two steps ahead or... Th- like anything like that. There's one awesome episode where uh, the main guy has to get a heart for the mayor or the president of Seattle or whatever they are. And so he like runs into this hospital and he's there going, there, I've done it, I've gotten it. And then this guy's like, wonderful, but you're too late. The heart's actually a bomb. It's like, what? How did you know? Three steps ahead. (laughs) And then later on, he's like, well, it appears that you've come here, but guess what? I've already bested your plan. And after he gets a new heart, he's like, what? How have you? And then he looks down and there's a dog mauling at it. It's like, ha ha! Three (gasps) steps. I've been shot. What? No, you have. (laughs) There's three steps ahead. Three steps ahead. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good. So whenever I like hear any time of like anyone's thinking ahead, I just think, oh no, I've been shot. No, you haven't. (laughs) Three steps ahead. That is good. Oh, it's beautiful. So that's basically what I'm in for now. Yeah, pretty much. Three steps ahead. I feel okay with this. So back in the Mexico. Back in the Mexico. Speedwagon's there with straights. Yeah, and like the camera zooms in on straights and there's an ominous beat and then everyone who's standing behind him just sort of explodes in blood. And then Speedwagon's all like, uh, what Wait, the fuck, bro? Like what? what? Why did you just kill everyone? We're doing this. He takes off his hat and it's full of razor blades. He's <laughs> <laughs> just like, I mean, look, I have a magic hat. <laughs> and just like spins in midair. Hits the wall. Oh, well, that's gone. <laughs> <laughs> so I think he was saying that he was confused, obviously. Speedway was confused. Yep. And it's like, why? And then he's like, well, remember back in the day how Dio was immortal and stuff? Harmon doesn't really make you all that immortal, yeah. I figured so, out. Straits is afraid of aging. And yeah. he started learning Hamon to uh, slow that down. But now he's reaching a point where... It's not that much different to yeah. normal aging, you know? And uh, he's gotten to the point now where he's like, you know, I could just become a vampire. And then yeah, so immortal. I think I will. Kick Speedwagon in the head really hard. So much so that I thought his head actually split open. I think, well, it started bleeding. Yeah, I just thought it was, like, so hard that his skull cracked. I was like, oh, wow, okay, that's intense. And then uh, he gets a mask off the wall. Yep. He puts he it goes, on, he does puts Speedwagon's blood on it. And then he's all like, I will be the greatest that there ever was. Yep. He does that thing, uh, light, laughter. Pans out slowly, or pans up. Speedwagon's like, Jojo, Marina. Passes out. Yep. 
and uh, it's all very dramatic. And we're back in New York. Yeah. Jojo almost gets hit by a car. The taxi driver's like, Hey you, why don't you get a clue? What you doing, dumbass? Pull your head out of your butt and see where you are. Now get the hell out of my way. That's a lot better than the sub. Something like, go find a dog to lick your, lick your ass or something? Yeah, go find a dog that can lick your butt clean or something. You're Whatever. like, what? And Jojo's like, hey, I'm walking here. Hey, I'm walking here. Hey, I'm Jojo here. <laughs> And he grabs the guy by the lapels and is like, say that again, so I know if I need to beat you up or not. Stay out of my face, buddy, huh? Oh, you think you're better than me, huh? And then Arena's like, Jojo! And she's like, oh, uh, I was just ordering you a taxi. I think the <laughs> best part of that was when he's like, uh, and then he says, he goes, taxi! Yeah. <laughs> so she, he's afraid of her. Yeah, well, I mean, you know. She's uh, a lot more severe than she was previously. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, Arena was very loving of Jonathan. Yeah. And then Jonathan died. Now... I don't want to say that, like, breaks a person. But something tells me that she's a little bit broken. Which is, you know, she's seen the most horrifying things that have ever happened on Earth. She's In the space of, like, five minutes. She's uh, not going to take anyone's shit anymore. <laughs> yeah, basically, it's like, life is too short to bother, like, just to be bothered with anything. So, fuck you. Yeah. Uh, they get in the cab, Smokey's coming too. He, he monologues about how, um, how Joseph never knew his parents because one of them was a pilot in the war. And also they both, they were Arena's uh, son that she gave birth to, mm-hmm. and also the baby girl from the boat. Yeah, and they married. And, then... and they died of war and disease. Yeah, which is sad in its own way, but not really. No. <laughs> because they gave birth to a lovely Joseph Joestar. Yeah. Um, also, at this point, uh, Joseph is like, hey, Granny, so Speedwagon, huh? You ever hit that? And then she starts hitting with an umbrella. Yeah. I just love his face and how it's like... Hey, uh, Grandma. And he's got, like, his hand perfectly cupped here and, like, the tight lips and the inquisitive eyes. It's beautiful. You and a speedwagon ever boned down? Was that the extent of your, uh, relationship? Bang! Bang! bang. <laughs> Ain't taking your shit today, Joseph. None of that. Nope. And then and they then go s- to a restaurant. Yeah, and then Smokey's <laughs> there just being all like, oh my god, what the hell's wrong with this family? Yeah. So they go to a restaurant. Second instance of non-human looking person. Yeah. There's this racist mobster who is angry that Smokey's been allowed in the restaurant. Because now, he's black. Let's um let's paint a word picture of this gentleman. Um, he's not exactly a good looking So he's man. portly. We'll start with the easy okay. stuff. <laughs> he is rotund. Yep. Uh, he's got a sort of like a really wiry moustache and beard. It's almost like Wario, but in real life. Yeah. If that were possible. But he's also got some sort of like metal plate in his head. Yeah, it's like he's wearing glasses, I think. There's only one of them, though. Okay, there's like a monocle, but then there's a it, thing on the... And it only comes down to like halfway down his forehead, yeah, too. He's like, bald, too. So yeah, he's bald with a metal plate in the side, and then there's something that attaches onto it that comes down to his forehead, yeah, yeah. and then it ends in a small like circular yeah, yeah. piece of metal. And on one of his eyes, he has, like, one of those, um, a clockwork orange eye makeup things. <laughs> it's just, he's a very interesting looking man that doesn't look very cute. And in this scene, while he's complaining about Smokey, he has, like, a really wiry looking spaghetti half in, half out his mouth. Yeah. So, at first you're uncertain whether or not that's part of his face. <laughs> it's like, this grotesque abomination of nature. Good lord. I guess that's meant to be a deliberate irony. This guy who looks barely human is like, what's that beast doing in here? Yeah, yeah, Or it's like, maybe the real beast is you, you racist shit. Yeah. Yeah. So Smokey's like, I guess I'll... Well, first the waiter's like, in a surprisingly progressive uh, 1930s like, restaurant. shockingly like, progressive. Sir, as long as someone pays their bill, anyone's allowed in here. And then he's like, how dare you? Yeah. How dare you? And Smokey's like, I'll, I'll just go. Then Joseph goes, uh-uh. Slams his fists on the table and stands up. Not on my watch, buddy. Marina's like, Joseph! 
He's like, you're not going to try to stop me, are you? She's like, hell no. Yeah. Just like, think of everyone else. Though. People are entitled to their opinions, but he insulted our friend in public. So just teach him a lesson, but don't bother anyone else. <laughs> Which I love that she's just gone, look, yeah, you can beat him up. But just remember there are other people here that... At this point, like, some kicking electronic music uh, starts yeah, up as we well. Have, we have amped up the music yeah. now, haven't we? We've gone from, like, old school... Jonathan's orchestral swelling theme. Into, like, ba-doom, bum, ba-da-bum. Yeah. <laughs> With sick bass lines. So the, 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 the mobster man stands up and he reaches into his coat pocket. <laughs> and uh, then Joseph Sherlock Holmes analyzes him. <laughs> this is the first instance of cerebral combat. I've, I've written down basically every, every part of this from the dove. Okay. First he says, Let me help. If the brass knuckles are what you're looking for, you're not going to find them inside your coat. You might want to check your back pocket instead. And then we have a shot of the guy going, <gasps> It's like a really like severe shot. Like, like it all goes blue and like yeah. a line goes across the screen. Like as if he's just seen the death of someone. And he just checks his coat pocket goes, it's not there. But how could he? Checks his back pocket, <gasps> finds the brass knuckle and brings out and goes, what? These are serious brass knuckles too. They're like really thick and they have spikes on them. Yeah, they're not brass knuckles so much as brass spikes. Yeah. Next you'll say, you bastard. How could you have possibly known where they were? You bastard. How could you have possibly known where they were? What? <laughs> And then he explains, By the visible abrasions that are on your right hand, it's obvious that you do your fighting using brass knuckles. You've no wounds, the blood on your shirt is not from you, therefore you've come from a fight. Since the blood is on your shirt, and not on that pink horror of a coat, it was taken off prior to the fight. And then after you had completed your assault, the knuckles came off and that's when you proceeded to stow them away in your back pocket. Deduction. Reminds me of those bits in um, the Ace Ventura movies where he does that, but he goes like really, really long, so it's like, And then, uh, you... Did this? <laughs> oh man, Ace Ventura. So he punches Jojo. He's like, "Yeah, so what if you know that?" And then he punches him, and we see we see blood fly, or what looks like it. Yeah, we see what looks like blood. But hold on, everyone. And then he's like a big flurry. Yeah, like a machine gun flurry of punches. But then he wasn't punching Joseph at all. He was punching a wooden stick. Is it a wooden stick or is it metal? I think. Okay, I think. At first, I thought it was a hat stand. Okay, I think what it is, right? I think what he's done is he's gotten a wooden stick with metal on it. Right. So then it has these metal spikes on it, maybe. So then that's what's like being chipped away. Yeah, it's... But just as easily, it could be his own blood. You know. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really sure what it was. Maybe a table leg or Details. something. Details. Yeah. Bizarre. Um, if anyone knows what that is, tweet at us. Yeah, if you know whether slightly brown, red... It looked a bit like scales to me, but with, like, one half of it taken off. Well, I mean, that... Yeah, ish. It sort of did a lot like a hat stand, didn't it? Yeah. He sees... We see that he's punched through, with his palm gone through the spikes on part of it. The irony! There we go. The irony, (laughs) if you will. And he says, um, dub... I can predict and counter anything your tiny brain is able to come up with. Do you understand that, you simpleton? And then he gets polite applause from the, the onlookers. Yeah. Everyone's been watching. Very so much reads, without knowing, without seeing, having seen it, it very much reads like one of those fake stories you read on the internet where like, and then I beat up the bully and everyone stood up and applauded. It does, doesn't it? Where yeah. It's sort of like that very childlike, Oh yeah, and then this happened, and then everything was good. And, like, and that JoJo's name was Albert Einstein. <laughs> just, I love how everyone just, you know, they just sort of sit there and go, well done. Yeah. Good work. Yes, thank you. Or should I say, thank you. So then this other mobster comes over. He stands up at first, and JoJo's like, are you looking to fight too? But he's not. He's like, I apologise for my underling's behaviour. 
I think he addresses Erina. I think so. Yeah, because he knows what's up. He's a mob boss. So he looks less like muscle and more like... Gaunt. Like the Don. Yeah. Disturbingly thin frame. Now, something he said in the dub that I'm not sure if they put in the subs as well was that he knows Speedwagon from some dealings they had back in London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says that. So I wonder if that's Speedwagon Oil Tycoon or Speedwagon Ogre Street Mugger. Ooh. Ooh. That's a good question. But when I was re-watching it last night, I was like, Speedwagon doesn't seem like the, the sort to consort with mobsters. But yeah, no. of course he is. He's a street, street ruffian. Yeah, I imagine like if he knew him from London, he must have moved over here permanently. Because... Yeah. So maybe back then he did some uh, mob work. Maybe. Maybe. If you know the answer, please tell me. <laughs> yeah, so the mobster is like, I heard some news from an expedition that hasn't reached the papers yet. Uh, your friend Speedwagon is dead. He was killed by a Tibetan monk. And Joseph's like, a monk? Straight so? And I think the guy just keeps talking. Yeah. Sure, why not? So anyway, he's dead now. Yep. Then Joseph beats that guy up for being blunt and upsetting Grandma Arena. And uh, Smokey's like, the hell is going on? What, what is with this family? They have some seriously messed up problems. Then we have a cut and it's sunset, I guess a few days later. Smokey and Jojo are in Irene's cafe. Uh, uh. Hirohiko Araki had a previous manga called something like Beautiful Irene or... Uh, maybe he had a girlfriend named Irene and was like, yeah, she's pretty cool. I'll put her in this. What was it called? I'm going to look that up. This is a semi-informative show. I have a, a duty. <laughs> Gorgeous Irene. There you go. Ooh. It wasn't until Gorgeous Irene in 1985 that he developed his signature style of buff muscular characters. There you go! That was the real turning point. They're in this uh, cafe reading a magazine about padded bras. <laughs> and uh, Joseph is taken aback at the prospect of, oh, you can go from like double A to C. Do you think it really works, Smokey? Smokey is... Cynical. Or sceptical. He right? calls it just snake oil. Yeah. It's like, I just think a dollar twenty-five is too much. You know, I mean, you know, even if it works, a dollar twenty-five, like, really? Is that is that worth it, bro? Yeah. And then Joseph, behind Smokey, paying absolutely no attention to him anymore. There's a sinister but familiar-looking man lurking in the window. Who we should all recognise, but we don't because we've forgotten. It's been like an episode since we've seen him looking like this. Yeah. Young Straitzo's there. Dun dun dun. And Joseph gets like, up and he's like, me? Pointing at himself? Yeah. And he comes outside. And this oh, is a yeah. really cool scene. Yeah, well, I like how uh, the entire time he's there, you don't realise what's going to come. No. And then it just fucking happens. So but... he comes out and he's like, have we met somewhere before? Do I know you? You look familiar. By the way, why isn't your breath visible on this cold night? And also, is that a glint of fangs I see in your mouth? Come on, don't play coy with me. And then he, he smiles and you see the fangs and they, they gleam. And then he's like, it's time, Joseph, it's time. To die. I'm gonna kill you before you can possibly threaten me, Joseph. And then Joseph's like, or in the dub he goes, or perhaps not. (laughs) And he reveals that he's got a Tommy gun behind his back. So the whole time, he's been like circling him around to get him to face Irene's cafe. I I specifically went back and watched this bit after seeing that again because I wanted to see if... You could see behind If he was conceivably holding it the whole time. Oh, yeah. But when he comes out, he has both his hands up. He's like... Eh? I guess that could be a sort of like magician, nothing in my hands sort of thing. He could have it in the back of his coat. Yeah, yeah. It is extremely large. (laughs) He's got got the back back breadth to uh, (laughs) to hide a Tommy gun behind. It's true. He is 195 centimetres. There you go. So then he pulls out a Tommy gun and just shoots the hell out of straight. Yeah, straight so flies back through the window. Everyone in there, including Smokey, starts cowering. Uh, for good reason. Um, I wrote down what he said in the dub as he's, like, freaking out. I he's... knew he was crazy, but not this crazy. Yeah. Where did he even get the Tommy gun? <laughs> Why shoot up the whole city? <laughs> 
the whole city. Straits lands, roundabout starts playing. Joseph steps so that his foot, one of his feet is on the other uh, window, the broken windowsill. With broken glass on it. Pans up his body as he talks and he's like, I've been waiting for you straight so since I heard about Speedwagon. Our war is just beginning. And it pans up his body and we see a close up on his face to reveal that he's crying. Very emotional. That was crying. for Speedwagon. To be continued. Dun, 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 dun. Yep. Yep. <laughs> a new ending sequence. Yeah, so it, as you were saying, it just starts where the last one ended. Yeah, and I'm not sure about this, but I think possibly excluding the um, the lead-in to the, uh, the song, it might be a follow-up verse of Roundabout. Oh. oh. Can't confirm that, though. I'll have to check next time. Yeah. No, that'd be interesting if it was. Anyway, so we see the mask from last time explode, the ending shot yes. of the last ED, to reveal like a sort of skeleton mummy vampire face. Ooh. And then th- I don't get it. Things pan upward, and we see like a torch highlighting specific aspects of this mural in between the flashes of character. Yeah. So we see dead Jonathan, who yep. is looking very manly. And then he's sort of pointing upwards to Jojo, because Jojo is inheriting his legacy. Yep, very nice. We see young Speedwagon, who, as we get like up halfway up his body, turns into old Speedwagon. Yep. And then crossfade. And then uh, we've got. Some more masks. Yeah. A lot more masks. We got the the torch highlighted three specific masks, and I'm not certain about this, but I feel like they might be designed to be reminiscent of the three major villains of this part. Okay. Shit. No spoilers, and yet spoilers. Well, I I can't elaborate on that any further, but... We'll see, we'll see as we get to them. Okay, alright. And then it keeps going up. We see a sort of elaborate carving, including um two palms with J's on them. Two palms? Like palms of hands. Oh, well, those J's. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. And then above that, uh, we finish on a shot of a, um, a big red jewel in a sort of ornate carving. Yeah, that seemed very odd to me. I was like, what the hell is going on here now? Mm. I mean, I'm guessing that has something to do with something at some point? It's possible. Shit. But in that regard... Oh, no. What do you think is going to happen in episode two of Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, part two, Battle Tendency? (sighs) Okay. Okay, there's so much. So we got Smokey now. Smokey is the new Poco. I feel like Smokey isn't going to do that much. Seems fair. As Poco doesn't do that much either. Joseph will outwit Straito, because obviously he's not dead yet, he's a vampire. How? I'm not entirely sure. Or maybe he will wait till dawn. Or maybe Straito... That'd be a long fight. Yeah. Or maybe Straito just gets away. Interesting if Straitso gets away. Because it's interesting because Straitso is, even if he isn't as familiar with it, he is essentially the same as Dio hmm. because he is just a guy who's used the mask and so he theoretically has all the same powers that Dio would have had. Yeah, in theory. And I think without giving too much away, this is maybe the only part of Jojo where you see like Shonen power creep. Mm. In that the first villain is equivalent to the villain of the previous part. Yeah, whereas every other time it's sort of like resetting. Yeah. Right. Erina will probably get angry at Joseph, but beyond... Oh, maybe she'll die? Maybe? Okay, I'm thinking that Erina will die, but not yet. Okay. Maybe in episode three. Not everyone dies. Yeah, I'm thinking maybe she'll die in some dramatic fashion in Mexico. Uh, because, like, she'll see Speedwagon. Then down like, in Mexico. Yeah, down in Mexico. She'll be like, Speedwagon, I've always loved you. Even more than Joseph. Jonathan. <laughs> That'd be very awkward. I mean, it's either going to be that or... Erina just stays alive. Actually, you know what? I think Erina's going to stay alive because she managed to get through part one. It's true. So there ain't shit she can't handle. <laughs> she can beat down on Joseph, so, you know. Yeah. Um, what else have we got? Speedwagon is... He's dead. What if Speedwagon isn't dead, though? Ooh. Actually, you know what? Maybe Speedwagon isn't dead. 
because we did have Dyer, whose head had literally come off, was a human. He was fine for a while. He was fine for a while. So maybe Speedwagon's okay for a while. Maybe they reach Mexico and he's still lying there, just going, Help me. Jojo, just just leave me, for God's sake. I've had a good life. Yeah. They build him tough on Ogre Street. <laughs> yeah, maybe he's still alive, because we didn't... Oh, well, we did see him do the <clears throat> head nod, so yeah, maybe he's... Yeah, maybe he's dead. Is there any other character? There's no dog. No, no dog. Yet? Question mark? Maybe the terrorists are going to come back and be all like, where's Speedwagon? No, they, they don't. I'll oh, tell you that. No. <laughs> all right. Those are my predictions. Okay. And Joseph will grow and evolve with time. He's not going to become much more of a gentleman, I don't think. Fair to say. And I don't think the next episode is going to involve him controlling his harmon beyond being like, I can just use it. All right. Yes. Good episode. Solid. Part two. It begins. Battle. To the tendencies. Seas of tendencies. So, if you liked the show, um, you can email us at uh, jojospodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at the same. Or if you want to help people find it, uh, rate and review us on iTunes because they help new people find the show. Amazing. We know. But it's true. I guess we'll probably have a new theme song at this point (laughs) that you've probably heard. Although we haven't sourced it yet. But we we want to do a new one for every part. Um, I will, I guess, put appropriate credit at the end of the episode. (laughs) In the blue for real. Just like, oh, by the way, uh, this was the song. (laughs) So thanks to them for either licensing their music to us for a fee or letting us use it under Creative Commons. Cheers, buddy. You the man. Or lady. Or as it may be, zombie. Or vampire. And until next time, to be continued. Wait, is that going to be the outro now? It's just to be continued. Yeah, the arrow. Ah. That music was Hot Mustard by S. Strong. And now, your regularly scheduled B-roll. Alright. I, I get the... Second recording in a day. It's just... Oh, yeah, I'm just real tired. I still gotta go to the book exchange. Get some books. Well, I don't have to get more books. Get rid of some books. Yeah. Exchange them oh. for goods and services. Half of them are like kids' books, though. So I'm worried they'll be like, yeah, we don't have enough room for them. So. For your Del Toro request. Oh, I never got into Del Toro request. It's good. Well, I mean, you we ever seen the Del Toro request anime? No, but apparently it's quite good. I've only seen the first episode, but there was a, a really good, really, really like sort of JoJo good moment <laughs> where um, there's this character called Barda. The idea is that because the old kingdom has been overthrown by the Dark Lord or whatever. Mm. And he used to be a palace guard, but now he's pretending to be a um, a beggar and keeping this kid safe, like, as he gets up to shenanigans in the streets. Right. So, um, there's a really, it's a really good moment where, when he reveals that he is, in fact, a palace guard, he, he's like this old, like, crook-backed old man, with, like, a long crone nose and a lot of wrinkles, and he grabs his grey cloak and pulls it off in that anime way. Oh, and that... <laughs> yeah. And like it covers the screen for a second, and then when it when it uh, passes, he's like standing straight, and he's wearing like a circlet. <laughs> he just uh... he's like really handsome all of a sudden. <laughs> okay, so he had a shower through his cape.